Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 258 of the Tick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is Powerhouse, an interview with Kelsey Wenberg. My name is Heather Goldback. And I'm Asa Matello. In this episode, Kelsey explains her extreme symptoms of brain fog, fatigue, night sweats, GI issues, and how she was in and out of the doctor's office once a month for six years before she was properly diagnosed. Kelsey is a powerhouse, and her dedication to her healing journey shines through in this episode. Kelsey Wenberg, welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. We are so happy to have you here and for you to share your story. Thank you, Heather. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where do you live currently? What do you do? And where did you grow up? Yeah, I'm from Anchorage, Alaska. That's where I grew up. Um, I spent some time living in Sydney, Australia, and then came back, started um, working in Anchorage. I got sick. um, Well, I got sick about 10 years ago, but I officially had to quit working three years ago. And prior to your symptoms and being diagnosed with Lyme, what were, what was your life like? So prior to being diagnosed with Lyme, I was, I was doing great at my job. I was very active. I was training for a marathon. I loved running. Um, I played hockey, you know, I was in my twenties. So I was going out with friends, um, and running before work, running after work. I just had a lot of fun the things that I was interested in doing. And I was probably at the healthiest time of my life, right? As I got sick. Wow. And when, when, sorry, when did your symptoms begin and how did they develop over time? So my symptoms started out in 2012. I was like I said, I was working as an, as an executive assistant for the federal government. Um, in 2012, I met my now husband. We were dating for about three months. And then all of a sudden, I was having fatigue, insomnia, night sweats, and weight gain. Those ones kind of came on slow and obviously builded Um but I was just having this trouble. I said, I've been, you know, I think I was 29 years old and I had never had trouble sleeping my whole life. I'd never been on any medication. Um, and suddenly I was waking up at two, three in the morning. I could not go back to sleep and I had to start work at seven 30. So I was running into the office and I was, you know, as we do when we're on low sleep, I was just felt like a crazy person. And then by two or three o'clock in the afternoon at work, I couldn't stay awake. I was taking a late lunch. I'd go into my car. I had a pillow. I was taking naps. Um, and, and that progressed over about three years until I had to quit that job. But those symptoms, I was um, in a doctor's office pretty much once a month from 2012 um, on just trying to figure out, you know, the fatigue and the insomnia and what was behind it. Suddenly I just overnight couldn't do what I used to be able to do and not being able to sleep was really impacting my ability to be able to work. Yeah. So it sounds like it it really started to interfere with your career and 
potentially your goals and, and dreams. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it came on to the point where, you know, 2012, it started, my, my boss was wonderful. I was very open to him. I've got these strange fatigue and I know everybody says they have fatigue, but this is different. I, you know, I was a note taker for him. I suddenly, I could not, I would hear things and I could not repeat back to you what just happened. And that like was so not me. So I was trying to explain to him, I'm having these kind of neurological symptoms are going on and I can't sleep and the fatigue. And he was uh, very understanding. I was lucky in the beginning in 2013, I had been diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus. You know, as we kind of all start, I had, so I took a month off of work trying to figure out if I just needed rest. Um, and so, but then I went back to work and, you know, slowly but surely I was being diagnosed with each month was something different. And I looked, I'm sure like the biggest hypochondriac, cause it was like, okay, boss, this month I've got adrenal fatigue. I've got my hormones look postmenopausal. I'm 29 years old. My thyroid went, um, suddenly I had hypothyroidism. Suddenly I had all these food sensitivities. Um, so you know, the list goes on and on, but yeah, that's where we got to. And do you remember your, your breaking point? Cause it sounds like you had gone through a lot of testing and, you know, without a proper diagnosis. And do you remember your breaking point where you were like, this has got to change? Yeah. Well, this might be long. So interrupt me here if you need to, but the breaking point was about three years into symptoms. I'm so tired. I'm just exhausted. Um, I could, I had just been promoted into the finance department um, of our division of the government, which is where exactly where I wanted to be. But I knew I could not, I could not keep showing up at 7 a.m. after not sleeping all night. So my husband said, why don't you quit your job? We can, you know, I became very interested in health at this point. I just went back to study Institute of Integrative Nutrition on my own time. You know, I'm trying to every single cleanse and food thing out there, trying to, trying to figure out and heal myself by what's going on. And so he said, why don't we quit, start health coaching from home in 2015. You can spend all this time on your health. And so that was really hard for me. I thought I would retire with the federal government but I decided to quit. I think I'm 32 years old at that point. And then I spent the next three years. I was so devoted to my health. I was, you know, I chelated heavy metals. I still had no idea what Lyme disease was at this point, but I found out at H. pylori. I treated that. I was doing um, ozone therapy because I had a lot of active viruses. I was um, I spent two months in Big Sur trying to learn yoga and meditation and Kundalini. And I was still slowly but surely everything I was, you know, I was still doing great. I was still exercising, but my breaking point came at the six years in my husband and I decided to build a house. We were moving, we were living out of our camper and we decided to take a two-week trip from Alaska through Canada, go down to see Dave Matthews Band in uh, Seattle. And about halfway through, I'm so tired, I can't even sit in the front seat. And I, I was, my, my husband just said, we've got to turn around, we'll forfeit the tickets. You know, I just said, I don't know what's going on. Like I was hot, I was sweating. 
And I had to virtually lay in the back for hours driving home. And by the time we got home, I was just, I, that was, I was at my breaking point, my brain, I couldn't remember which side of the road to drive on. I couldn't, I couldn't speak to anybody. I was so tired. And um, I ended up going for a massage after the massage it must have pushed out the lime or something because I ended up coming home and I had a double bullseye rash on my arm. And that was the start of the breaking point. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it sounds like you had a really long and intense journey. So before I switch uh, or give it over to Matt, uh, how many doctors did you see and what type of false diagnosis did you have? Let's see. Well, there was one doctor who stuck with me, who is an integrative medicine doctor who was trying to sleuth it out. And I, you know, I saw her 30 times and she would refer me out to um, like, I don't know, I probably saw 15 different doctors and I had every diagnosis from chronic fatigue possible MS. Um, it was depression, uh, depression, anxiety was one that they stuck at for a while. I was in <laughs> therapy for a year thinking I just needed stress management. And that's why my adrenals were burnt out. Um, let's see other diagnosis. Adrenal failure was kind of what I kept hearing adrenal burnout, but it was, yeah, mostly that. So Kelsey, I'm sitting here and after interviewing over 250 people with Lyme disease, everything you're telling us are classic symptoms or complications due to late stage Lyme disease. So throughout this window, before your diagnosis, which I think took you about six years, did Lyme ever get brought up? Did a tick bite ever get brought up? Did any kind of vector borne illness ever get brought up? Oh gosh, no, never once ever. In fact, when I even developed the bullseye rash, I was so lucky. I happened to walk into a doctor's office because I'm so sick at this point, desperate for answers. I've kind of just resorted to the fact I'm dying and it's going to be a no known cause. Nobody has mentioned Lyme disease. We don't even talk about ticks in Alaska. We don't, you know, I've never seen a tick. And so the, when I present with this double bullseye, I just happened to walk into the right doctor's office. And she said, that's a bullseye from Lyme disease. And, you know, I'm calling and texting people and they're like, we don't have Lyme disease in Alaska. There's no Lyme disease in Alaska. And I'm like, well, I've got, she said the, you know, guaranteed thing is this rash that I got and I've been sick for years, but no, never, ever. And life would be so different. I feel now if, you know, when I first came in there with hot sweats and insomnia and Lyme disease was on the table to be tested for. I wish and, so bad. And night sweats are a classic indicator of Babesia. So there's so many things I feel like they missed out on throughout your journey. But totally. I do have some questions before your diagnosis. But once once they, you had the bullseye and Lyme now is on the table, I mean, you live in Alaska, but yet, I mean, you're not, you're not, you travel, right? So did they ever think or ask you, hey, have you ever traveled outside of Alaska? Could you have picked up Lyme disease somewhere else? Were those discussions ever had or was just you live in Alaska, there's no way you can have Lyme disease? Well, luckily, when I, the doctor, there's two doctors in Alaska that know about Lyme. And I just happened to walk into the office of one of them by some fate. She knew that and she was asked me everywhere that I had been. So she and she took pictures of it because she knew that was going to disappear quickly. Um, and 
so then she asked where I'd gone and I had been in Canada. And of course, you know, most people say there's no Lyme in Canada either. Um, but the people that do know are kind of like, yeah, Lyme is, is everywhere. And I, you know, I was reinfected as well last year in Hawaii and I develop another bullseye and I'm in the hospital for a month, not thinking I was going to die over there. I didn't know what was going on. I kept, I was taken by ambulance before I get this bullseye. And then I got bit by a bunch of mosquitoes and I develop another bullseye and I'm in the hospital and they were like, there's no Lyme disease in Hawaii. And I had been there for a month. So they were like, everybody was kind of perplexed. So we're going to get there, Kelsey, about last year being in Hawaii and your reinfection. But I just want to focus on at this point, I want to I want to zoom out for a second. So you were sick. You first got sick when you were 29. You were working this federal government job as an executive assistant. What exactly were you doing for the federal government? I worked for the Bureau of Land Management and uh, it was an agency that took care of federal lands in Alaska. Um, And I really was excited to move into the um, financial part of things. Numbers was kind of always what I enjoyed. And so, yeah, that's what I was doing for the federal government. And now you're 29 years old. You start dating your now husband. Three months later, you get sick. And this is the beginning of your journey. And now this journey lasts six years until you're 35, until you get your diagnosis. And you talked to us about, you talked to Heather about a lot of the things that you did before your diagnosis. What I find very interesting here is you did a lot of treatment modalities, which are commonly associated with Lyme disease, but yet you didn't know you had Lyme disease. So, I mean, for example, you did heavy metal chelation and detox. You were doing Kundalini yoga and meditation. You you were using ozone. You, You had H. pylori, which is very common with Lyme as well as something that kind of coexists. And you started addressing that. So I have to ask when you, before you got your diagnosis, were any of these things that you were doing helping you even a little bit because they were real things going on in your body, but just not possibly the root cause, which was Lyme disease? Oh, for sure. I mean, like I said, once I quit my job in 2015, I had a three-year period working as a health coach and I'm doing all of these things that I'm learning about for functional medicine to help support the body for whatever is going on. And that bought me some time. You know, I, what we know now is I got reinfected again in 2018 and then I just tank, but I bought myself some time doing all of these things. You know, I was, I was so obsessed with learning how do we heal the body for, you know, anytime you have 10 things wrong with you, there's, you're missing something, right? Like it's, I knew I was missing a bigger piece, but so then I, when I started, um, some of these things though, I would herx and I didn't know it. Like I was running a group 28 day detox and we were taking these herbs that I now know are, you know, some of the Lyme herbs and I went down first and I'm leading the class, the charge thinking, and I was so sick after the second or third day I had to pull out, but, and then I started doing ozone thinking, this is just a great way to clean your blood. And I, everybody would say, do you feel great afterwards? And I was like, I just don't, I am going like, so I was herxing really bad off of that. And that makes sense because possibly others were not infected with Lyme disease and they were feeling right. better but you were herxing, which nobody else can relate to, right? Which I think right. is something that we struggle with. Well, why are they getting better and we're not? And it has a huge psychological impact on us. So let's talk about that. So you, you still have your Lyme diagnosis. You're, I mean, I think it's it's amazing how you got into the health coaching field, which helped you find all these things on your own. So you quit your government job, your health mm-hmm. coach, and you're you're kind of stepping into all these new modalities that are that are helpful, but you don't have the big picture yet. Now, when you're realizing that you're feeling worse and others are feeling better, talk to us about the psychological impact that had on you and, you know, 
many of us, probably all of us in the Lyme community can relate. Sometimes we feel isolated, alone, and like we're these weird aliens. How did that have an impact on you? Well, there's a lot of guilt too that goes in. I did feel like a weird alien for sure. I was at a Tony Robbins conference once with a bunch of people and I had just taken our little tincture of herbs that we're doing on our little fun little detox and I just go down and I had to leave. And I remember catching the thing back to my room and I'm crying by myself and, you know, everybody's enjoying their coffee and their cocktails and stuff at a conference. And there was no way I could participate in any of that because I felt I was a sensitive flower, you know, and I just, it, you feel, you start to isolate yourself. There's, you know, I, you just can't go out anymore. I can't stay up late anymore. Um, yeah, you just, you start to feel also like a hypochondriac, right? Because I'm like, everybody else feels fine when we're doing this and everybody else can get up there and be at the 7.30 a.m. meeting. And why, why is Kelsey dragging her bag in here and, you know, barely making it? So that guilt for me of feeling like a, a hypochondriac and overly sensitive was killing me. And of course we have to be easy on our bodies. When you have Lyme disease, now we know we got to baby your nervous system. You've got to, you know, take care of yourself. But at that time I'm like, okay, well, I just need to, I'm not tough enough. I need, I guess I need, you know, do I need more coffee or more Kundalini? I could not figure it out. We've learned that being a female is actually even worse for people in the Lyme community. So as a male, I can't relate to this because although yes, I was poorly treated and I was told it was all in my head and I was told that they're going to put me in a psych ward if I don't stop, you know, coming in and saying there's problems with me. Yeah. I know females have it much worse than males and especially young, very pretty females like, like you, Kelsey and Heather. So I, I'd like you both together to talk to talk to us about this. What role do you believe your gender and your looks played into doctors dismissing your illness and prolonging your diagnosis? Well, as far as gender goes, I mean, I can tell you one time I go into a new doctor's office. I've got my stack before I knew I had Lyme of all my tests. And I'm just saying, like, I'm desperate for a new person to help me. Why could, you know, find my missing piece maybe. And she takes this binder and I will never forget this. I tell the story all the time, but she takes all my paperwork, hands it back to me and says, you need to go look in the mirror and tell yourself I'm fine. And like, it was in my head and in, I wanted some sort of antidepressant medication. She could easily write that for me or some side of like Ambien or something like that. But so, you know, I'm not sure maybe Heather could answer as far as being a woman on all of this, but I know it's hard for men too. Anytime you go and you're trying to be tough, you don't, you already, of course, I don't want to be in a doctor's office saying I've got all of these symptoms going on. I feel already like a mad person, but you look, you know, you look weak. She doesn't want to work. She doesn't want to probably, you know, these are how I, people portray you. I feel like sometimes, um, as a woman or you're, you're just weak, you need some antidepressants, some sleep medication. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. And, you know, for me, it wasn't only with doctors that I experienced that, which, uh, was, probably the most challenging part, people that were closest to me, I, you know, I feel safe with, and I take their advice and suggestions very seriously. So when someone is asking me, oh, are you just close to your menstrual cycle? Right. Maybe emotional or yeah, hearing from a doctor that you're just depressed or it's anxiety. Um, 
you know, I, I take that very seriously and I take it to heart, or at least I did. Um, and I think just like you, Kelsey, I started to have guilt and shame. And as someone that likes to be productive, I was already frustrated with myself. So to hear that from, you know, whether it's a doctor or someone that I'm close to, you know, it just chips away at your heart and it's, it's emotionally challenging. And this, this guilt and shame though, right? I think it prolongs your diagnosis and the longer you wait for a diagnosis, the deeper the Lyme bacteria and all the other things going on, which we know it's never just Lyme disease are getting deeper into your body, into your tissues, into your heart, into your brain and making it even harder to treat. So it's very frustrating to hear that females have it even harder than males because I've never, nobody's ever said to me, Hey, look, Matt, are you just emotional because you're close to your cycle? Right. So I, I never even thought that something would, something like that would be said to somebody when they're exhibiting these horrible symptoms associated with Lyme disease. But Kelsey, Heather brought up another good point beyond doctors doubting you and telling you it's all in your head. There are, there are loved ones, friends, colleagues, family members, et cetera, who may put those thoughts of doubt into your mind as well. So in your experience, Kelsey, how is your family responding to this when doctors are telling you it's all in your head. Clearly, you knew you were sick, it sounds like, but how are your how are your loved ones around you responding to these doctors? You know, I have a wonderful family, supportive family. I don't know what they were thinking. I'm sure they were just as confused by my constant, you know, like, sorry, guys, like, I can't have gluten. Please don't, you know, I know I probably looked like some sort of hypochondriac crazy person. I, my husband was the one who was just like, stay in your lane. You know, this, he kept reminding me cause he could see it. He knew the exhaustion. He could see the sweating. He knew the problems that were going on. But, um, I was some in the beginning, this is a crazy story, but in the beginning I was going into the doctor's office who became a really good friend and just saying, you know, I'm tired and I'm hungry all the time. It's making no sense. Like I'm just constantly hungry and tired. And she was like, well, maybe, um, some sort of like food anonymous or group therapy is what I needed. And I, I laugh now, but I actually ended up in this like overeaters anonymous <laughs> class for one night. And I come home to my husband and crying. I'm like, I don't think this is my problem. Like I'm that create, think I'm that crazy that I'm, you know, my, cause of my symptoms that people are thinking, maybe you need like an overeaters anonymous class because you're tired and you're hungry all the time. you it's just, again, feeding into the, this is in your head type of issue. I just find it infuriating to think about a doctor saying you need to go to overeaters anonymous because you have all of these horrible physical symptoms but I think food is, I think food and, and eating too much is part of your, is, is your problem, right? I mean, the word I like to use when I think about this is doctors will, will literally break their necks to not think about Lyme disease, meaning they'll think of anything. We've had, we've had guests tell us that they've been accused of being giants, gigantism. We've had yeah. guests tell us that they've been accused of eating mud, eating mud and getting sick instead of thinking about Lyme disease. So all these crazy things come out of doctors, but never Lyme. And that has to change. And I'm thanking you for sharing that because that's another just extreme story of how a doctor's breaking his neck to not think about Lyme disease, whether it's intentional because of the, the politics and the controversy or not being educated enough to even know about Lyme and how severe it can be. But sure. let's talk more about now the, the crash that Heather was talking to you about. So you're, you're, you're now health coaching, you're trying to survive, but your health is declining even more. You're finding all these cool things that are, that are helping a little bit like, like heavy metal detox and ozone. 
But really, these are just sort of band-aids because the root cause is keeping these symptoms and these problems to keep coming back. So now you have this, this massage and it triggered your bullseye rash. And I'm really interested in this topic. And I'm curious if, if you have any thoughts and Heather, if you have any thoughts on this, but Kelsey, why do you think that the massage brought out the bullseye rash? Because in my mind, you know, these lymphatic massages will help drain your lymphatic system. And that's where a lot of the, the you know, the, the stuff gets kind of stuck. But yeah. I also think maybe it, 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 it sort of provoked this detox and got your body flowing and got things circulating and got your blood moving. And because of that, the Lyme came out to play and became active in your bloodstream and caused the bullseye rash. And that's just a guess, but what are your thoughts on that, Kelsey? Yeah, well, you know, when I got to see Dr. Klinghart, his thoughts, when you see a double bullseye, like I presented, he said that was like your second strike. But I had a local doctor who said, I just finished up my 10th pass. Like I did 10 different rounds of ozone. And after the 10th one is when this bullseye came out as well. So it was definitely detoxing, definitely bringing up the bugs to the surface. So I don't know whether it was that or whether I, um, at the time, you know, I was meditating on top of our camper. If, if by chance I got bit again on the arm, I, I don't really know, but it's a fascinating discussion to bring up because I definitely must've been bringing the bugs to the surface. Cause we know now before maybe doing an hygienics test, you know, getting a deep massage is great to bring, stir those bugs up. Yeah. And I think they call it the antibiotic challenge. We recently interviewed Studi Vora from hygienics and she kept calling it the antibiotic challenge or, or the, you know, the tick-borne disease challenge. So some people will use antibiotics to provoke the Lyme bacteria to come out before an hygienics test and others will use other means, whether it's a deep tissue massage or whether it's detox, you know, or whether it's ozone and those things will bring Lyme to the surface. You, you can, you're more likely to have a positive test. So I think it's interesting. There's some overlap here between what you were doing and probably not intentionally to bring out the bullseye which led you to your root cause of Lyme disease, right? Yep. So now, and it sounds like even with this bullseye, you still had struggles because you're in Alaska, you can't have Lyme disease. So talk to us about what doctor finally said, okay, maybe you really do have Lyme, even though you live in Alaska, but you travel to Canada and you could have gotten infected in Canada possibly. Yeah. So I walk into the doctor's office that, like I said, there's two doctors in Alaska that know of Lyme. I just happened to walk into that office. I didn't even have an appointment. I'm just so sick. And I can see these round circles. I, I knew, never knew about a bullseye rash or Lyme. I mean, I was so, so I just happened to walk back into the area where the nurse was. I didn't even have an appointment just said, can you tell, do you know what this is? Like, does this common for people that are sick? I've got this weird rash and I feel terrible. And she luckily was the one that knew she's like, that's a bullseye rash from Lyme disease. Uh, sit down and take a picture. I'm going to see you at the end of my day when all the patients go, you need to start antibiotics right away. And so I called my local doctor that I was working with and just said, this is, you know, they're saying I have Lyme disease This popped up. And she was just like, what? And I, you know, text my husband. He's like, what? So everybody is confused, but I'm grateful that I have this woman in my camp and she's saying, here's the symptoms of Lyme disease. You know, I'm on the ILADS committee. Um, have you had any of these? And I'm like, well, that explains my whole last six years of what, you know, so she's looking at this thinking it's a new bite. We probably should get you started on antibiotics right away. But I'm thinking in my mind, like, like my husband came to this appointment and I said, this has to be what has been going on this whole time. It has to be nothing else makes sense, but this encompasses all of these symptoms. This has to be what was going on. And she agreed that maybe that would, this was, um, I already had it. She wanted to test the hygienics that day. 
uh, if you had just got bit by a tick, she said it probably wouldn't pop on Igenix and she'd have people wait, but she was very curious to see if this was chronic Lyme, like late stage. And so we tested that day and sure enough, I had Lyme and all the co-infections. So, um, yeah. This is a really important tip for our listeners because you had a bullseye rash that was provoked because you were treating indirectly a lot of the things that were going on in your body, which brought out the bullseye rash from chronic Lyme disease, not an acute infection, but right. doctors, 99%, 99.9% of doctors will see a bullseye rash and say, you have acute Lyme disease. This is not connected to the last six years of your health issues. And we need antibiotics to get this acute infection. But thankfully your doctor knew enough. You had a friend who was connected into ILADS and you realize this could be chronic and you did the hygienics test immediately. And to your point, if you did that hygienics test immediately with the tick bite, I'm sorry, with the bullseye rash and it were an acute infection, most likely 99% chance it wouldn't have popped positive because it was too early for your body to mount an immune response, which is how these things look for the infection in your body when you're doing a test through hygienics, right? So on one hand, they're saying you have an acute infection because you have a bullseye rash. But then on the other hand, you now have this definitive lab work immediately proving you have the immune response showing it's not an acute infection, right? So that, did that help you in any way? There's, there's some contrast there, right? I'm curious to see how your doctors responded to that conflict of thinking. Yeah, obviously she was conflicted. It's the first time she's ever seen a bullseye rash in Alaska. So she doesn't know for sure if this is a chronic problem I've had or an acute. So she wants to start me on antibiotics right away. Um, looking back now, I know, and that just blew things. Talk about like what broke me, but um, she, she didn't know. So being that there was a fresh bullseye, she thought we need to just jump on the antibiotics tonight. She ordered them for me me that night looking back what I know now you know I I needed to do some other other detoxing to prepare my body for the antibiotics and what was to come once I started those but but she didn't know whether this was acute or long term I suspected for sure it was long what was happening all along but we started antibiotics that night of the second bullseye the double bullseye so Kelsey give us an idea of how your symptoms progressed and expanded, meaning what new symptoms did you have? How did your existing symptoms worsen up until the point of your diagnosis? Just to give us some context as to how sick you were when you got diagnosed and started the antibiotics. Okay. The, well, you know, it started as fatigue. You're tired. You're taking a nap at two. It progressed to the type of fatigue where I have a big stripe down the side of my car because I'm driving to a doctor's appointment and I just, I was so tired. I hit the side thing. And when I was parking and I just pushed my seat back and fell asleep. I mean, the fatigue, I was pulling over on the side of the road all the time. I'd show up to places with a seatbelt mark on my face. I have several laughing stories about that. That fatigue at that point was pretty epic. Um, and right when I got diagnosed with that bullseye, my stomach extended. So I have this huge gut bloating issue that I hadn't had. Um, and then the insomnia was so bad at that point, I'm on medication for it. And then when I popped that bullseye, I'm the new symptoms that really progressed is I couldn't breathe. I had the air hunger and I was, couldn't even get up off my back. It was like everything. It took me everything to breathe. And every, all my brain was like gone at that point. I don't know if the inflammation or the craziness that was going on inside of my body. Um, I was so scared at how my brain was gone. Once that bullseye was there, that as soon as I knew it was Lyme disease, it was like a month later, I just saw 
sign myself up for an eight day water fast because I needed to blitz some inflammation fast because I said to my husband, I'm, I'm losing my brain. I can't even figure out my supplements. I would be crying. I couldn't figure out when to take what, I mean, you're, you know, the same cognitive issues were just like the brain was just switched off. You were physically and cognitively impaired and it was having a drastic impact on your ability to really even help yourself heal and work with your doctors and communicate with your doctors. But I mean, one of the things that I find sort of curious is that you're, you're getting this antibiotic treatment and I have to imagine, and you kind of alluded to the fact that you didn't feel better. So how long were you on these antibiotics for with your probably well-intended doctor from Alaska? You didn't know about Lyme disease before you said, all right, this is not working and I have to make a change. I think I did hers for about a month. Um, doxycycline, Mepron, Zithromax. I think we did that for a month. And I'm like, my gut is blown at this point. I've not, not had gut symptoms and those are full force. And we're staying in a camper. I got to run into my parents' house to go to the bathroom. And um, so I was on the hers for a month. And then I'm like, we need to get another opinion. Um, so I, I found a doctor, another person I know with Lyme. In Alaska, I hooked up with his doctor from Florida, and I, you know, it was another like, it, none of this is paid under insurance too. I will get there at one point, but I, so you're, I'm selectively making another appointment. This doctor says you need to double the antibiotics. That's the problem. You're doing the small dose, you need the big dose. So we double the dose of antibiotics, and I do another dose of antibiotics, and I, um, I honestly don't even remember that month. The I could barely breathe. I would wait until my husband got home. I would stare out the window in our camper and just trying to help my body respirate in and out until he got home and could give me some food. Um, and eventually my, my gut was so destroyed. I was, and my felt like my tendons were, everything was going to rip out of my body. I just said, we need to research like a different route right now because the oral antibiotics at this point was just, it was, my body wasn't ready. Talk to us about body signals. I know it's really hard when you're that sick to be in tune with your body. And it wasn't until recently that I've been able to really make some improvements and listening to what my body's telling me and taking steps to address those things before they get worse. And what I'm hearing from you, Kelsey, is that your first doctor well-intended put in antibiotics and you felt even worse. Your second doctor said, oh, you, you're doing so bad on antibiotics, but let's double those antibiotics, right? And you did that and you were so bad, you don't even remember that time period. And you described that you could barely even breathe that you were so bad and probably because you were herxing so extreme and there yeah. was a debate on how hard to go. And I believe, and you know, a lot of, you know, my personal opinion is you don't want to go that hard because it can do more damage than good. And you have to go a little bit more gentle, gentler than that, especially when you're as sick as you were. So looking back, you know, and I'm sure today you have a lot of, you're more in tune to what your body's telling you. Do you think that like your body was kind of yelling at you and saying, this is not the right thing to do. We need to put the brakes on and try to find an alternative here. Yeah. And I also had other things to detox. I think in the beginning, at this point, I was so sick. Um, by the time I got to Dr. Klinghart's office, they kind of explained to me, once you've had chronic Lyme for a while, you've been immune compromised, all these other buggers that come into play like parasites and candida and mold, they're all stirred up and we need to kind of hit those guys first to detox your body. And then we go after the Lyme. And so that's what we did. And also, you know, the doctor that I have now, I see Dr. Lehman and she's been absolutely wonderful godsend for me because she's like, you know, we're back at the route of antibiotics now three years later, but each time we try one new antibiotic, she wants me to let her know how I'm feeling that night. 
and she will help guide me through, okay, that's too much. We're hitting the nervous system too hard. Let's try something else. Or she'll say, okay, that, yeah, a little bit of depression and stuff that's going to be normal because we're um, hitting the bugs in the brain. So she's able to navigate me through, this is too much. Let's switch drugs. Or that's a normal symptom that's going to come with herxine. And we're not going to push too hard ever on the nervous system. Like, so we're going to, we're going to get to Dr. Lehman and also Dr. Klinghart, which I want to get to in a second, but it sounds like what you've learned today is you're, you're, you're communicating with your doctor, you're sharing what's going on. So you are reading your body. You're telling your Dr. Lehman what's going on. And then you're deciding what to do, whether we need to pull back, whether it's acceptable herxing, and that's a much more reasonable approach. But before we, we go on to the next step after the second doctor, you've described several times, and you also mentioned that you were on Mepron, which is also used for Babesia. And mm-hmm. you keep talking about these, these issues of breathing and this air hunger and not being able to breathe. And this has been a very common topic this week where many people have been asking us, what is it like? What exactly does it feel like to have air hunger due to Babesia? And there's a lot of fear in the community that they think they may be having issues with their lungs or their heart. And this creates a lot of anxiety. But, you know, I think Babesia will be the trigger for a lot of these breathing issues. So do you agree with that? And if so, can you describe to our listeners what it feels like in, in, in you know, great detail so they can see if this resonates with them and possibly they should explore Babesia as well yeah. as Lyme disease? Because we know the treatment for Lyme is not the same as the treatment for Babesia. And there may be people out there listening who have Babesia and they're not addressing it and have this air hunger that you described. Correct. Yeah. The one, the thing that popped the high on my genetics test in the beginning was Babesia and I started to learn about it. And at that point I was trying to explain to my husband, I felt like I had, uh, like, a like a, a hole right here in my throat. And that it was like, all the air was going out. Like I couldn't respirate air down into my lungs and back out. It wasn't going in and out. And it started like that. And then at times it would feel like I just had run a marathon from going up a few things of stairs and I was so winded and my heart was going crazy because, and then you're, you know, huffing and puffing. But most of the time I laid there for months and months and I just felt like all my energy went into trying to help my body respirate. It's like, I almost needed to help move stuff in and out. Like it just wasn't doing it itself and oxygen wasn't getting where it needs to go. Um, and then in the end, about a year ago, when I got, I'm not sure if it was mold or Babesia, but at that point, I, you know, I'm so winded that I'm just laying on the floor. I can't actually move my arms and my legs. I can't speak. I can't, and all, all I can do is try to respirate. So now talk to us about, obviously you're doing worse on the antibiotics, the double antibiotics with your second doctor. And that's when you said, all right, we need to find somebody who really specializes in this. What research did you do and what doctor did you land with next? So I, I watched the documentary Under Our Skin. Um, I read Yolanda Hadid's book, Believe Me, three times. And then I um, really resonated with Dr. Klinghart. He, I could see he had a multifaceted approach to treating Lyme that wasn't just antibiotics. It seemed like Eastern meets web, Western. So I we chose him as our next doctor, but it was a six-month wait list before I could even see him. So I am just battling trying to get, stay alive until I can get to Dr. Klinghart's clinic. What were you doing? I mean, you were a health coach, right? And I wonder, was your cognitive decline so significant that you couldn't tap into your knowledge of your training to be a health coach to help you in the interim? Or were there things you were doing that were just helping you have symptomatic relief until you got to Dr. Klinghart? 
There was none of that at that point. For three years, I was giving myself symptomatic relief at that next after that bullseye. I mean, I'm out of it. Like my brain is gone. I'm begging my husband to get the appointment and, and help keep me alive. I, we did start to do some stuff once I, I'm watching all of Dr. Klinghart's stuff. And I, you know, we bought an infrared sauna. Um, we started to hardwire all, everything in the house. My husband did. Um, you know, I'm trying, I, I flew out to California for this week long water fast, trying to get some inflammation down so I could keep getting my brain back, but my brain is going at a rapid pace. So my husband actually got me a phone. It had no, um, apps on it. Nobody could write. It was just for internet explorer so that I could purely study Lyme disease and what I needed to do in those little tiny pockets where my brain wasn't so overwhelmed that I could do some research. So I'd like to just pause here for a second and talk about fatigue because fatigue, according to LymeDisease.org, and they do that Lyme patient uh, study that they have, my Lyme data, and based on all the feedback, fatigue is the number one symptom of chronic Lyme disease. And I know there's a commonality here between your story and Heather's story. And Heather, when we interviewed you on your podcast, you know, you describe fatigue as something that is really hard for a healthy person to understand. And, you know, you gave us an example that you literally had to pull over while driving home from work and sleep in the car because you couldn't make it home. Right. So Heather, can you just have a discussion with Kelsey a little bit about fatigue? And, and I don't like the word fatigue because it sounds like it's just, you're tired and a healthy person yeah. hears that and think, Oh, you're just tired. Get some sleep or just, you know, have a little coffee, but it's not like that. So if you guys can really shed some light into the reality of fatigue and how debilitating it can be in your everyday life with Lyme disease. Yeah, for sure. That I remember somebody saying, oh, you've been fatigued in bed. Have you been watching a lot of shows, reading a lot of books? And I'm like, this is a different type of fatigue. I can't even have the television on. I can't read a book. I'm sitting there debating. I'm starving. How am I going to be able to get my legs to move me to the kitchen? Or I haven't had a shower in a week. How am I going to be able to hold my arms above my head so I can wash my hair? Like, I didn't even have TV on or, or reading a book, like all the things you just enjoy that you do when you're tired, this type of fatigue is like just holding on to a cliff for dear life, hoping that I don't die type of fatigue. <laughs> yeah. I, I resonate with your uh, seatbelt on the forehead story because I would, and keep in mind, my drive was 15 minutes max with traffic. So if without traffic, I could get home quickly and I would pull into the Whole Foods parking lot and I would have to, you know, take a nap and it's fatigue that there are no words. You cannot describe it. And that's the frustrating part as well, because it's not like you can compare it to something. And uh, especially if you are a high performer and you like to get things done, this type of fatigue is, um, you know, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And you can't even describe to somebody. I remember, I think at a dentist appointment, I'm sitting in the chair, they call me in and I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't, I have to cancel. They're like, you're right here. Like what's going on? And the fatigue was so bad. I couldn't even explain to them that I have such bad fatigue. I can't even go sit in your chair. Like I can't like <laughs> there was times where I couldn't even talk to my husband where I was just like, he couldn't even ask me a question. Cause I, my brain was so tired that I couldn't even relay to him what I wanted for dinner. It was just like, just please bring me three meals today at some point. <laughs> 
that's how yeah. tired. Yeah. Kelsey, but, oh, sorry, sorry, Heather. Uh, no, that that story um, is is very familiar, and uh, I think when it comes to family, you know, I had a hard time even picking up the phone when my dad or my mom would call, and if you just you don't want to explain it to them because you don't want them to worry, but you need to explain it to them so that they don't take it personally, and you know, it's it's really challenging. Now, on that note though, there's, there's another overlap here. I'm just sitting back and watching the two of you and I'm seeing so many parallels between your story, Kelsey, and, and your story, Heather, right? And Kelsey, you just taught us that brain fog, you know, obviously was a huge part of your journey and the brain fatigue. But again, people, you know, people, and I'll pick on Rich because Rich is here, but nobody that's listening knows Rich is, is here silently behind the scenes. You know, Rich recently bought the Brain Boost uh, herbal supplement from Dr. Rawls. And, you know, so people that are healthy think, oh, I'd love to be more cognitively sharp and I can, I can use some mental, you know, help there in that, in that, in that area. And I don't think they can understand what brain fog truly feels like, or this cognitive decline truly feels like. And you gave us Kelsey, some really good examples as to how it impacted you, where you'd hear things and you couldn't repeat them, right? Like these are not normal things. These are things that are far worse than typical brain fatigue that somebody with Lyme disease would experience. So I know, Heather, you kind of talked about the same thing where you said you had this severe brain fog and you were so confused at times that you felt like your brain was on fire. You told us, Heather, on your interview. So Kelsey, if you could start first and just tell us, like, give us an example of how severe the brain fog and cognitive decline was for you so people could have context to how sick you were. I think one of the problems with this podcast is mm-hmm. people come on later on when they're doing better. So people listening yeah. to Kelsey, you're going to think, oh my goodness, there's no way she had brain fog or cognitive decline, right? Yeah. And same thing with you, Heather, you're, you know, you're co-hosting this interview with me. People are never going to believe you had severe cognitive decline. We want to put this into perspective that you've been there and you've made significant progress to overcome that and provide hope to people listening. So Heather, uh, Kelsey, can you start by giving us some, some, you know, a really severe example of how bad this was for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys invited me to this wonderful podcast a year ago and I knew I wanted to get the word out there, do my part, but I had to cancel. I did because my brain stopped working. And once it stops, I don't know when it's going to come back online. You might ask me a question and I can't, I'd have to ask you, what did you say to me? Cause I could not think. And, um, just this, you know, my brain kind of just started coming back online and I wanted to do this, but some of those brain symptoms, um, like Heather said, I couldn't answer the phone for my mom or dad. They'd know when I, they didn't hear from me. It's just like, my brain couldn't even talk on the phone to people. Um, we had just bought a house. We had some family come visit. They, they took me out for coffee. And on the way back, I was trying to describe how to get back to our house. And I had them all over the neighborhood and they don't know what Lyme disease is. They just think you know, they're, and I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. My Lyme brain. I can't, I could not figure out how to put our address back in my GPS and I couldn't figure out how to get us home. And they ended up having to do it, find our address and get me home. And I was so embarrassed at that point, the cognitive decline, you know, you really feel like you have Alzheimer's and it's just, it's embarrassing. So Heather, do you want to jump in real quick and, you know, give us an example of how severe it was for you as well mm-hmm. with the brain fog and the cognitive decline? Oh yeah. Um, I think the brain fog was, the scariest symptom for me because I had always been pretty sharp and motivated. And if I start a task, I will complete it. And similar to you, I would 
suffer from feeling embarrassed, which would obviously exacerbate the brain fog because you're stressing out about what other people are thinking. But I remember I would be in the middle of a conversation. I would lose track. I would literally forget what I was talking about. Uh, my memory, I would have to write everything down um, or else I would forget. Uh, I just felt like I was living in this thick fog where my thoughts weren't clear, uh, things that were easy for me to figure out or understand, it, it became impossible. And, you know, it, it was very embarrassing and it was frustrating <laughs> beyond belief for me because I just wanted to accomplish my goals and get things done. And I just, I couldn't. Yeah, you can, you're, it's a, it's a total breaking point. And sometimes a brain fog, I even say, goes to like brain loss. Like I'm waking up in the middle of the night and I don't know where I'm at. I was panicking because I feel like I'm in the middle of the ocean somewhere because my brain can't even ground myself to remind myself that you're in your bedroom and you just woke up, you know, that kind of brain is just out there. Well, I like that terminology. So you have brain fog and then brain loss, which is like next level brain fog where you don't even know where you are. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. So I think that's a, that's a good term to, to use to describe the severity of brain fog. But Kelsey, talk to us about now you finally get admitted into Dr. Klinghart, who we know is one of the leading doctors, especially when it comes to treating parasites that are associated <laughs> with Lyme disease or just even parasites in general. What was that experience like? And what did you walk away with Dr. Klinghart doing to treat your chronic Lyme disease? Well, they could see that I had Lyme in all the co-infections, but yeah, when I got to see him, um, 2019, his big thing is parasites. Most of the time they, you start with parasites, the biggest organized organism first. So I was given a lot of drugs and we did a huge protocol. In fact, I think I spent all of 2019 detoxing parasites. Um, the protocol was intense. It was, you take this drug an hour later, you take a binder and then you go do a coffee enema. And I've never done a coffee enema really at this point. I'm like, parasites like are we talking microscopics or what are like what do you mean parasites you know i'm still in this new world um and learned a lot about them for the first year and while we're detoxing parasites he's helping me to um you know i'm doing the ionic foot baths the lymphatic drainage i started doing bee venom therapy because traveling from alaska just down to their clinic was very expensive for me so i knew that i could start that at the same time um, and so I started doing that. Do you kind of want me to go through the protocol he had me do or? Yeah, I'm just actually going to, I'm glad I'm going to stop you here. Cause there's so much, I just want to just drill a little bit deeper on some of these. So mm -hmm. first let's talk about the parasite protocol. Were mm -hmm. you using cell core? We're using para one and the other cell core products. And then, you know, following up with these colonics and enemas to, uh, to, to follow up with, is that the, the process you were using? Uh, no, cell core and para one products are great. I love those, but we, came in with the, some big hitters, um, all of the Alinea, the Beltracide, Ivermectin, Mepicrine, uh, Pyrantal. I mean, if you name the parasite drug pharmaceutical, I've probably taken it. And it was in a strategic time frame that he had. You take this one for three days, then that one for three weeks, then switch to this one for four weeks, and then do this one for a month. Um, 
And so we kept switching around, trying to get them all gone. And you did that in parallel while using B-Venom therapy or B-Venom therapy came later? I was doing B-Venom therapy at that time. I didn't realize now that I should probably have waited on B-Venom therapy. Um, but Dr. Klinghart is a fan of B-Venom and just kind of thought it would be okay. Um, if I did it, I didn't realize that, you know, I needed to really check for a mold infection before doing B-Venom therapy because I did develop MCAS. So, so I guess talk to us about that. So how does mold interfere with B-Venom therapy and then trigger MCAS? I think that's what you said, right? So just talk to us through that, that, that logic and people that are thinking about using B-Venom therapy, how mold can play a role in making it not effective or even making you feel worse. Yeah. And you guys probably know the science of why that happened better than I did. I only learned three weeks ago that that mold infection that I had caused the MCAS, but I had been doing bees. I was just like diligent. I did 10 bees three times a week for a year. And then I started developing the mast cell type of symptoms where I'm reacting to all my food, reacting to water. And I'm getting all these histamine responses. And, you know, my doctors thought maybe this was a histamine response because of parasites. So you're going to have to go on um, antihistamines. And that means you have to stop bee venom. So I just stopped the bee venom. And then it wasn't until, uh, you know, now a year later, having a new doctor look at everything that I've done, she helped me find kind of my missteps. And one of them she said was, you know, you have an active mold infection. And you shouldn't have been doing that with bee venom therapy or will activate MCAS. So that's the first time I, I learned that mistake the hard way. So does bee venom therapy invoke histamines in your body, which then amplifies the MCAS or the mast cell activation syndrome symptoms that you were having as a result of Lyme disease? Is that the connection where bee venom therapy increases histamine? You have increased histamines because of mast cell activation because of mold. And now together it's this, this sort of, master effect perfect storm to make you sick right is that is that kind of what happened you think yeah exactly the perfect storm but i was on these forums and they were kind of like keep pushing through the b venom degrades mast cells so i'm having his more and more histamine responses and still trying to push through like you know push on and um i shouldn't have been doing that because yeah i just ended up with just histamine craziness so it sounds like this was 2019. I think you said it was about a year that you were doing B-Venom therapy and also this parasite protocol, which was a variable protocol of changing things in and out, right? Did you make any progress? Were you feeling any better? Or do you think that the mold exposure that you didn't know you had, the <laughs> developing MCAS and also the trigger of the B-Venom therapy was preventing you from actually making any progress to all of these therapies that you were doing, like the parasite protocols? Yeah, that was all there. So I wasn't feeling better the parasite protocol was very intense. So that, you know, which I just needed to go through, I guess, to get to clear my body of all that. So all of 2019 was a blur. Nobody heard from me. Um, I was, I didn't literally no texting, no visitors, no friends. That was my job. I took everything that they told me to take. Um, and I did all the bee stings. And then in 2020, we kind of transitioned away from parasites. Um, into at that point, Klinghart's crew thought it would be good to start going into cavitation surgery for me. Um, and so we kind of started focusing on the viral protocol that they did. And then in 2020, I started that year with doing um, the cavitation surgery with Dr. Nunnally in Texas. And after that, we did just a round, we were going to hit the mold and they, you know, my thing for mold was just a month of Sporanox. 
Wait, what I is Spornox, it, Kelsey? It, it's uh, itraconazole, Spornox. It's an antifungal prescription medication. So I just want to back up a quick second here. So you've been describing things so brilliantly. And I want to ask you, because many people in the community suspect they possibly have mast cell activation syndrome. It's very common with people of Lyme, especially that have mold exposure, right? So mm-hmm. what did it actually, it actually feel like? You talked about you started having reactions to everything, to water, to food, right? So can you just give us a little more detail about as you were using B-Venom therapy and as mm-hmm. you continue to have mold exposure and as your histamine and your MCAS started to worsen, what did that mean as far as symptoms and reactions you were having to food and environmental things in your everyday life? Well, I started to go weak. That was a new symptom. And I thought maybe I had like ALS or something because I would eat a meal and then my husband could see it on my face. If it was the wrong meal or too much histamine or something, I would lock my face would just kind of lock up. My arms would go weak and I would physically slip right off the dinner room chair and just lay there on the ground like the weakness. Then if I would walk by something that had mold, like I would just all of a sudden go weak. I can't even explain it without, I wish I had it on video, but my husband just had to catch me every time. But if we had like a lemon in the kitchen that possibly got a little bit molded because, you know, you missed it at the bottom of the fruit basket. And I took, I got a whiff of that going by the Island. I literally, (laughs) it would look like I had 10 shots of tequila. Um, So then the weakness was like, you couldn't wash your hair. My arms were so weak. The histamines kept coming up and that I was getting hot, flushing, sweating, um, the mast cell list of symptoms overlaps with some of the Lyme symptoms so well, but that's what I was getting. And then I I knew it was mast cells because as soon as I would sip water, I felt like I was on a boat and just kind of drunk. So, you know, a lot of people in the Lyme community do say they feel like Mm -hmm. they, out of nowhere, they just feel like they're drunk. And I think so that feeling for you was a response to a mass cell trigger. Is that what happened? So people that are, that are listening and thinking, yeah. well, like we, we had somebody in this just this week tell us sometimes at night after I eat dinner, I feel like I'm drunk and I don't know why. So possibly she's eating some foods that are triggering a mass cell, you know, trigger in yeah. her body. Right. I mean, and people think, Oh, fun. That's great. And it's like, no, this is like a bad trip. I'm talking about, I feel sick and swaying and I can't, I'm so confused and what, like my brain can't even think and I feel nauseous. I mean, um, they wanted me to use CBD for, uh, to help me on something. And I was so scared to use anything that might be a remotely psychedelic or mess with the brain because I constantly felt drunk and I was taking a lot of Zofran cause I was nauseous all the time. Um, it was like a, ugh, that ugh feeling constantly. Kelsey, did you ever get tested for any of the genetic mutations associated with mold and people being more susceptible to mold illness, like the HLA-DR mutation, because I, it always is fascinating why one person in the Lyme community is so much more extremely sensitive to mold than somebody else, right? And we know genetics plays a role and there are other factors too, but what do you think is the reason why you were so sensitive to a moldy lemon that was like across the room as you were walking by and you'd have a reaction and, and your husband would notice, right? Right. You know, I must have that gene. I didn't get tested for it. I just always assumed that I have it. I think like 25% of people have it. Um, but I'm guessing because my mom, while I'm going through this treatment, she's developing um, 
Parkinson's type tremors. And I brought her into Dr. Klinghart's office to try and figure out what is going on with her. And they diagnosed her as mold. And so she went and had a blood test and the levels were growing in her blood at like a hundred times the something. I mean, she had it so bad. So I knew that my mom was susceptible to mold. Then, you know, genetically, I probably just had that in me. Um, and then who, you know, I never know, was it the a mold exposure from before? And that's why my, my Lyme was so bad or, but, or now that I have Lyme, I'm way more sensitive to mold. Like now my body just, it's a, I will still, I mean, I'm in my 11th hotel room since I've been here. We went through so many places. I bring Petri dishes with me to test for mold because it will make me go weak and I will fall on the floor. And, (laughs) and I never used to be like that. I think it has amplified for sure, but. I mean, I think it's a chicken or the egg question, right? What came first? Did Lyme make your mold illness worse or did mold illness bring out the Lyme disease and turn it chronic in you, which is why, you know, in your case, it got so, so bad, so fast. Right. And we'll probably never know the answer, but we do know that you have Lyme disease and we do know that you have an extreme mold sensitivity and together that's a really damaging combination to the human body. So explain for us a little bit more if you can, because we talked about fatigue earlier with Heather. But now we're talking about muscle weakness, where when you are having these histamine reactions and you're having these MCAS flares, whether it's whether it's provoked by food, whether it's provoked by an environmental external factor, you're so weak, you literally fall off a chair because you can't hold your body up in a chair. And I think yeah. that's a really, a really good you know, visualization to have for people to, to understand because other people are having that as well and they can't figure out why. And I think this is going to hopefully help them identify a potential you know, source to go look at for this. But how is the fatigue you experience with Lyme disease different than the muscle weakness you're experiencing with an MCAS flare that you just described? I guess fatigue was more like in my brain, brain so tired, you can't open your eyes, you can't. The muscle weakness could come on where maybe my brain is there and I want to go out on a four-wheel ride with my nieces, but my body would go weak if I breathed in some mold and my head would just go down on the steering wheel and arms and legs just not move. Like the, the muscle weakness is gone. And I would carry these little packets of chromalin that I had and ask my family to just squirt them in water. Nobody knew what they were, but I was just like, if my, if I go down, I can't move my arms to put anything in my mouth or ask for help. So just try and squirt and water is sounds so crazy and just put it in my mouth to see if that will calm that mast cell reaction down and I can move my arms and legs again. Kelsey, what is chromalin? I don't, I don't know what that is to be truthful. Oh, I'm sorry. It's chromalin sodium is just one of the prescription medications used for mast cells. This I think in Katadafin and Singular, what the doctors have me on right now. Gotcha. So I have to ask, you know, reflecting back, and Dr. Klinghardt is a, is a well-respected, good doctor, but you think that that was not as beneficial as it could have been because of the histamine issues that were being amplified by the B venom therapy and being triggered by the mold, that you really didn't have the best re- response to the parasite treatment because of all the other things going on, making your body so much weaker, you're getting more immunocompromised, more inflammation, and the oh, parasite yeah. treatment is really just sort of like off to the side and not really helping you much. It's, it's kind of my takeaway on that one-year journey that you went through. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would go back now and, and take a Great Plains mycotoxin test, see where, where the mold picture is and be treating that and not doing the bee venom actually, because that was a, that was a perfect storm for me to not get better there. So for sure. And now, now this one year window is up. 
and you're starting to realize that, okay, I'm not feeling better, but you did. How did you realize that you were exposed to mold? Because it sounds like in the beginning, you didn't know mold was a part of the picture, but by the end of the year, you realized mold was, was a problem and you started to do things to address the mold. So in 2020, they kind of had muscle tested me that I had mold issues. I didn't know how bad mold was. I just did a month of antifungals. Then we kind of moved on and progressed and <clears throat> they were ready to hit the lime at that point. Dr. Klinghart wanted to do disulfiram to get the lime that was, you know, on my amygdala and causing me all these nervous system problems. This is in 2020. And I just treated mold with a month of antifungals. I had no idea how bad mold was. So um, at the end of 2020, I go and try to start disulfiram. And that it was that about killed me. I had just a terrible response to that. It was such a bad reaction. I thought I was kind of probably going to die at that point. That was one of my, I didn't feel like there was a lot of hope for me. So my dad took me to Hawaii. This is the start of 2021. And I go to Hawaii just thinking like, I don't know if this is my last vacation. I just need some sunshine and I need to take a break on these treatments. And I feel great for two weeks when I get there so much so that my dad and I decide to stay for another month and we switch into another condo. And the moment we switch into this other condo, I start developing new symptoms. And to make sure I answer this question, can you tell me what your initial question was? So I make sure I answer you right. Well, I guess, no, you can keep going. So I just, I, okay. I'm more curious about the progression of things in your timeline here. So okay. you, you really weren't feeling much better after that one year window, but now you're walking us through at the end of that one year window, what happened? You went to Hawaii, you're, you're, you're feeling, and look, my takeaway is you're feeling the worst you ever felt and you're thinking you're not going to survive. You're not going to live. So it sounds right. like you were worse at the end of this one year window because of all of the, the damage from mold and MCAS and B venom therapy that the parasites didn't really do much at all. So you, you were worse at this point, And now you're yeah. going to Hawaii for what you thought was your last vacation, right? So if you can pick up from there right. and just kind of walk us through what happened in Hawaii. Now, what was going on is with the parasites is I couldn't get rid of them. I think I couldn't, everybody was perplexed why they wouldn't go away. And I think it was because I needed to refocus on mold and getting the mold down to help because it's so immunosuppressive. But um, I did go in 2020, I did two months of flagell that did help me a little bit. It's kind of the only thing that in that year that actually helped me feel better. Um, but then at the end of that year is when we decided to, they were going to go after the line with the disulfiram. Um, and so the disulfiram doesn't work. I go to Hawaii, we switch into this new condo and then I learn how bad mold is. I spent a month in this condo. My insomnia is so bad. I could only sleep an hour or two at night. I'm, I'm getting all these new symptoms, being in a new type of mold, excessive thirst, weakness, excessive urination, crying all the time. And here I am in Hawaii with my dad. This is supposed to be a life-saving thing. And I just felt great for two weeks. And now I feel awful. And I have no idea about mold or to look for mold at this point. I had no idea how bad it was. I just did, had done a month of antifungals and thought that was that. So um, my dad symptoms are getting worse. I end up passing out in the dirt, leaving the condo, trying to figure out what's going on. My dad finds me, Hey, has to call 911. An ambulance takes me to this big, to the hospital there. And they have no idea what's going on. But I said, I couldn't move my arms and legs. And they were saying, you know, point your toes. I was able to point my toes and they're like, Oh, your legs are fine. And my body did rebalance at the hospital. I was getting out of mold and didn't know, but so I go back, um, 
I call back to Klinghart's office and so I'm like, something is going on. They thought maybe I had COVID. I was started a COVID protocol, even though the COVID test said I didn't have COVID, but I'm the sickest I've ever been at this point. My oxygen is starting to dip down into the eighties. My heart rate is going from like 160 down into the forties. I'm really thought I was going to die. I'm taken by ambulance again. Um, they could see that something was going on with my heart, my blood pressure, but I had no idea what it was. Anyways, I finally get a hold of another doctor. She says, this sounds like mold, go get a tent and stay outside of your apartment and condo. And I was like, oh, the bells just went off where I was like, oh my gosh, I've been sitting in molds, I bet. And so I got a tent and I went and I slept on the veranda of this beautiful condo. And that night I finally slept. And I realized every time I went back into that condo, I would start crying. I would start getting thirsty. And so I realized I had been in black mold for almost two months in that condo. And that took me all of last year to detox. Um, The symptoms from mold just got so bad. I mean, clearly mold can be debilitating. And we know mold is a severe immuno, you know, immune compromiser. And one of the things that I want to follow up with you on is because so many people, and again, recently the parasite cleanse has become a very popular thing in the Lyme community to look at, but I always look at parasite cleansing as a piece to the puzzle. It's just one thing of many things we need to do to get our bodies built back to optimal health. Right. And you said something really powerful. And I think this just resonated with a lot of experiences I'm seeing out in the community where you did parasite cleansing for a year and they weren't going away and your doctors couldn't figure out why. Right. And it was because you're, you were so immunocompromised because of the mold exposure and because of the trigger of histamines from the, from the, uh, you know, B venom therapy that you couldn't, you were basically stuck in a cycle of treating parasites that would have gone on forever because you had other factors causing you to be immunocompromised and not, you know, getting the best benefit of parasite cleansing. So I guess the first question I have for you is, what did Dr. Klinghart say about parasite cleansing? Is there a recommended time frame? Like, what is the ideal time frame to parasite cleanse? Is this an ongoing effort? And if you can't resolve all your parasites, what are things to look at besides mold, if any? You know, I was never told to. I was like the only person I felt like that kind of had gone through all the treatment for parasites, and I still couldn't clear them. And they, so it was like you just stay on stuff until they're gone. You know, we kept going, but I was like, this is insane like the amount of what I was doing and they were not going away so there was no real talk at that point of it was just kind of like you don't let your finger off of the parasites kind of until you're until they're gone or they're going to come back with a vengeance so to this day I'm still treating parasites until I get everything else out of my body I'm still keeping my finger on that point but yeah they had never actually we spent a year, but you know, we were keeping our finger on them while they, they did move to say, well, let's try cavitation surgery. Let's try, um, this flagell metronidazole. Let's try the disulfiram, but still be on some sort of parasite medication. Right. So was, was, was Lyme still active and contributing to your immune suppression and not allowing you to, to get rid of all the parasites? Was it mold? And it was probably all the above, right? All the other things going on in your body were, were keeping you stuck in that cycle. So Talk to us about now after Hawaii and you, you had this mold epiphany. We know at some point you pivoted from Dr. Klinghart to Dr. Lehman. Is that when this happened after, after Hawaii and having this mold epiphany that you decided you were going to go on and treat with Dr. Lehman? Yeah. So all of 2021, I figure out I have this mold. They've kind of put me on black seed oil, berberine, oregano. And I 2021 was really brutal for me. I just, 
I think it flared all of my Lyme and co-infections, um, but we are so treating on the, the mold, but every time we treat the mold, the Lyme and stuff would go crazy and vice versa. It was like, I never could get, and by now we're broke. We're, you know, we've emptied our savings account. We've taken everything out of the house. So trying to keep, I knew it was time we needed to switch lanes and find a different method of action. Um, by the end of 2021, you know, I've spent a lot of time, time to detox mold, but I'm so sick still that I'm on my back with my legs elevated. Cause I can feel my heart can't pump when I'm standing, my liver and kidneys felt like they were going to fail. Um, no matter how much I'm detoxing, I just still feel awful. And so at the end of 2021, I was watching the Justin Bieber special. He had um, talked about his doctor. And then I saw him on a new year's Eve concert or something. I was just like, that's it. Like I need to, we need to maybe interview a few new doctors and see if we can get any other recommendations for why we're not getting better. So at this point, I'm assuming you were staying away from mold because you were now mold woke about how bad it can be. So were you improving a little bit because you were taking steps to stay away from mold, even if that meant living in a tent temporarily to have some symptom relief? Yep. And I, I was just trying to get better enough so that I could leave the island to my home in Alaska. But once I got back to my home in Alaska, the after residual that I had from that mold being in me, I had stachybotrys, ferocerin, I think. Um, it was causing me to feel like I couldn't breathe. I was on Ativan at night for like six months trying to calm the nervous system down because I couldn't breathe. But um, yeah, so after spending all of that time detoxing mold, I am feeling a little bit better from how bad I was, but I've still got my Lyme brain is getting worse. The seizing is getting worse. The Lyme seizures were getting worse. My hands were becoming shaking and my lo- my jaw was locking. So stuff with the Lyme front was progressing. Well, and my, I'm curious, my reaction to that is that the mold just destroyed your immune system. Your body was just so weak. Yeah. And when your body becomes weak, what happens? Lyme, other opportunistic bacteria, viruses, protozoa, et cetera, flourish and they make you sick. So that's what chronic Lyme is. Your body becomes so unwell that Lyme flourishes and creates this chronic state with other things going on. So you think that's what happened, that the mold was so immunosuppressive, that Lyme plus all these other things just beat the crap out of you. And now you're you're having to manage all that again, right? Exactly. And then we had another whammy while I was there. I'm staying outside in a tent trying to get better but there were mosquitoes and the mosquitoes were causing, I was getting these like panicking when I slid the mosquitoes on my arms. And that night the mosquito bite turns into a bullseye. So I'm reinfected at that point. I'm already, you know, you know, I've had the mold compromise my immune system so much. And now I've had another reinfection. So now talk to us about going to see Dr. Lehman and what that was like and what you did with Dr. Lehman. So we interviewed her, had my first um, appointment. I was at this point so nervous about where we were going to spend our money because this felt like this is going to be our last hurrah. And I sent her, I filled out 20 pages of paperwork and I had my first meeting with her and I was expecting to have to explain my whole story and what I've done. And that would take up your whole hour. She actually came to it and said, I've read through all your paperwork here's the mistakes I think you've made. And here's the holes that you haven't hitted. This is where I would, the avenue I would take and where I would treat you. 
And so I was so grateful for that, just to have somebody say that right off the bat. And she had a plan for me that I was like, that's it. I'm flying to California. I'm all in. Kelsey, what were those holes and what were the solutions to plug those holes to get you back to health? Well, the holes were, she said, you had a massive mold infection. You shouldn't have been doing the beef on them. That caused the mass cells to go nuts. Now you've got all this inflammation and you're going to be extremely hard to treat until you get the MCAS under control. So her plan was we are going to layer MCAS support to get that under control so that we can treat you. And she said, you've never really targeted your Lyme and co-infections well enough. Those need to be treated while we keep our finger on the mold and parasites and we test you for SIBO and our finger on viruses. But I want to go in and she said, I think you should do antibiotics at this point now and go in and try and knock back these. Cause she saw the seizures that I was having. I'd sent her videos and she said, I think those are Lyme seizures. I think it's on the brain. I think we need to go after those. So now with Dr. Lehman, you're treating the whole picture, you know, what's going on. And by treating everything, you're not going to allow a comprehensive protocol to let mold weaken your immune system to make this protocol defunct and not be effective. So you're treating mold and everything else. And now you're finally in a place where you're going to be able to allow your immune system to start to rebuild and allow these therapies and treatments you're having to actually bring down the microbial load and get yourself back to health. So walk us through what that was like starting with Dr. Lehman, unknowing it was a very, you know, hard journey ahead of you. Did, Did you start to feel better? You know, what was that like when you first started treatment with her? Well, this was three weeks ago and I I got here on Super Bowl. It was like February 13th. Um, She helped me get a pick line the next day. You know, I'm all nervous. I've heard so many bad things about antibiotics at this point. Antibiotics are going to kill you. Antibiotics are going to destroy you. I had done them orally before, but I had nothing to lose at this point. I mean, we barely got me on the airplane here three weeks ago. Didn't even know if I could make it. My legs would make it. I had nothing to lose. And when I met with her, she was so comforting and saying, like, I'm going to try you on. Like, let's try you. If you can stay for a week or two, we'll try an antibiotic via IV in my office, see how your reaction is. And then we decide what we do the next day. And we take it one day at a time. And I just started bawling because finally I felt like somebody's walking me through this. Cause all the long, I never know, is this a Herx? Do I push through this? Is this the bugs? Do I need to hit them harder? Or am I pushing things too hard? And I'm, you know, been doing this myself for the last year on, on just herbs at home. So to have somebody here that would walk me through that on these different antibiotics. So that was, we started them three weeks ago within like I haven't had to take any migraine medication in 10 days now. I haven't had to take a stimulant to get my brain to work. My brain is coming back on. Um, and the seizing is getting milder already. Um, and I just decided to stay. We were going to stay for one appointment. Then we decided to stay for one week and then two weeks. Um, I've been here for a month now and I'm just, <laughs> I'm staying by her side until I get this better. Um, Cause that it's is- just, yeah. Amazing, Kelsey. That is just an amazing, amazing transformation over the past few weeks. And after the hell you've gone through, we're just so happy to hear that you're getting relief now. So Thank before you. Heather picks back up and talks to you more about what you're doing today and how you're helping people in the community and how this experience has changed you for the better, I just want to ask you, you know, what looking back, right? I mean, this is a really hard mm-hmm. question, but like, there's just so much here and I want to make sure we didn't miss anything. So is there anything we missed? And if not looking back, what was the most important thing in your healing journey that you want to share with our listeners? The most important thing in my healing journey. Oh gosh, you know, it's, 
there's so many things I wish I could go back to now and help people with right from the start, the awareness, treating differently, staying on top of certain things. I, I, you know, we all go through this and we don't know until we hear like this podcast, wonderful stories like you're sharing and we learn from other people's mistakes so that we can get there faster before all this damage is done. And being in Alaska, I was just, I couldn't, I was all by myself trying to figure this out. And now, you know, listening to podcasts like yours, creating a, a, a boot camp per se for how people can get better. is just, it's so valuable because those years weren't just lost. I mean, they were traumatic for people that, you know, I say goodbye to my husband several times. <clears throat> Kelsey, your, your story is really inspiring. And I just want to take a moment to show some admiration, you know, to your dedication to the journey. Like I've gotten the chills uh, multiple times throughout this interview because you are a powerhouse and like I can feel your strength. And um, when you were describing the success and how you feel with Dr. Lehman in a short amount of time, again, I had the chills and um, I know that you're going to inspire so many, you know, not just people that are struggling with Lyme, but I think, um, you know, people that are not struggling with Lyme because yeah. of your resistance and dedication to that. And something yeah. that I like to reflect on because I think it shifts my perspective in the moments where it gets a little dark uh, with the symptoms and the fear um, are the lessons and the things that I can look back on and see and witness, like what did I learn about myself um, or what blessings came from this journey? So I would love to hear, um, you know, if you have any lessons that you've learned, anything that you've learned about mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, well, you know, line breaks you of all the superficial things that we thought were important before. The gift in that is that you really, I mean, it was a month ago, I said to my husband, if you don't mind, we can sell our house and I'll live in a tent if you're okay with it. Because I just want, we have to like, without your health and feeling better, there's, there's no life, there's no living, you're struggling. And so taking care of your health, <clears throat> learning what you know, the root cause of symptoms are people on so many medications that are battling. I just wish that the lessons for me is always try and figure out why, like, why is that what's causing that? Can I get to the root cause of that? But yeah. And another lesson is just that you have to learn the areas. I mean, my body is so sensitive. If my nervous system is uncomfortable at all, I'm going to go right into the little thing. So figuring out where your body feels safe, where it feels happy. You've got to listen to, to that. You know, I know I needed to be here in California. Alaska is really dark and right now. And I feel terrible being away from family, but you just have to listen to where your body might, I know it feels better in the sun, listening to where your body is calling you to, to feel better so that you can heal. Cause it, it has to be in that parasympathetic state as we know to be able to heal. Yes. Yes. And 
through the, all of the challenge of the Lyme journey, the good, the bad, the ugly, and looking back from, you know, what mm -hmm. you've through and where you are now, I know you're still in the healing, you know, process, but are you, have you been called to do anything with this? I know you have your health coach certification. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I just now started sharing on social media. I didn't have a brain for that before, but now as it's coming back, that's kind of was a passion of mine before just to, so I started to share not just the good or, hey, I'm back, I'm feeling better, but here's the real little bit of a glimpse of what it's like for people with Lyme because people don't know and people think you're crazy. So I started to share that. And as I did, I was having all these people reaching out saying, I'm following you from Canada or from here. I don't can't get help. We're watching your journey. We want to learn from what you're learning from your doctors because people are at home they have they don't maybe don't have the funds they don't have a local doctor so I just started to share on my stories the treatment as I was going through it um which for some people is is outrageous you can't do your own IVs at home and it's like well Lyme people are warriors for a reason we do do all these things because we have to to stay alive and so sharing on social media has really been um, helpful for me. And I've connected with a lot of people, but I've also seen how many people are out there struggling that need the help from what you guys are doing, the, the stories that they're not alone and also some solutions for other people. And that has inspired me just in the last week or two to say, okay, I don't know if I'm going to become a patient advocate after this. I don't know what, what I can do, but the awareness needs to be raised and people need help. Yes. Um, and I, I'm so grateful to like, hear those words from you. And just even in this short amount of time, I feel like I've learned so much from you. So I know everything that you've shared and everything that you're going to share, you are going to make an impact for someone. Thank you. Appreciate that a lot. And same with you guys as well. Just you know, having this information you guys are putting together and sharing people's stories that this is what we need so badly so we can learn from each other. Yes, definitely. And uh, just one final question. Um, what is, or what are three things that you are grateful for? Three things that I'm grateful for? Well, I am beyond grateful for these Lyme doctors that are treating people it's out of the box. They're not covered by insurance. Their peers often think that they're crazy for the practicing that they're doing. And they're heroes too, you know, in my opinion, what they're trying to do, the people that they're trying to help. It's so unconventional. And I, I cried with Dr. Lehman before just knowing that, you know, what people think, you know, it's hard for them as well. So I am so grateful for these Lyme specialists. Um, my husband has been my rock. He's just like, whatever crazy thing, I'm, can you sting, sting me with bees? Yep, let's do it. I think we should go to California. We, we should see Justin Bieber's stock. Okay, do it. Like everything's just, let's do it. Whatever we got to do, just do it. So, and then then friends, that the friends that have stuck by you um, through all of this and have tried to get it, the ones that have tried to research on their own and see see the pain that's, you know, friends and family or everything. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kelsey, for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. and 
you know, your vulnerability and for being on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Kelsey Wenberg. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Kelsey, please visit her Instagram page at Kelsey Wenberg. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 250 episodes for specific keywords, please visit tickbootcamp.com slash search. You can also subscribe to our email list at tickbootcamp.com slash join. If you'd like to share feedback with Tick Bootcamp, please use the contact form on our website at tickbootcamp.com.